0: I'm always grateful when messages that I prepare really resonate with people, and last week a lot of you had comments to make about my sermon, but unfortunately none of you had anything to say about what I actually said as far as the content, but the thing I heard a lot from many, many people was something I did midway through the sermon, it was completely unintentional. I had more sweat pouring off my forehead last week than at any other moment in my preaching life. It was in my mouth, it was in my eyes, and without thinking about it, I pulled my shirt up and I wiped my face, exposing my midsection, and so I would just like to say I I apologize for attempting to take off my shirt in the middle of my sermon, although I'm I'm always looking for kind of what what really gets you going and I've always thought it was the Bible and the Holy Spirit but maybe it's just exposing uh, my bin section so we'll we'll just move on from there but I I, I will say I've I brought a brought a rag today uh, to wipe the sweat off so hopefully that will not happen this week well today would have been our 18th mission Sunday uh, it's rescheduled for for September 27th later this year but this past week a lot of you participated in a initiative we sent out to you we we were really trying to encourage our missionaries and our missionary partners and so uh, we've been thinking and praying about them this week and a lot of you made videos of encouragement for those people and if you're wanting to see that video that's on our youtube channel and that's also going to be in an email that andy will send out later today but as we begin today we do want to think about our our missionaries and so if you'll bow with me in a word of prayer Father, we meet today to honor you and to praise the name of Jesus. But we're mindful that all over the world we've got people doing similar things in Europe and Africa and Brazil. And uh, it's easy to forget, Father, we, we get so busy, we forget that these people day in and day out are advancing your kingdom borders. And so our hearts and our prayers are with them today, and we pray that you will bless them. We pray, Father, that you will give them immense courage to continue to declare the gospel even in this time, Father. May they feel encouraged through us, and may they feel your love uh, through our words to them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last night, my family watched the uh, movie Moana. Hadn't seen it in a while. Who has seen the movie Moana? It had been a long time since I'd seen that movie, and I was reminded of the plot of the movie. It's a very familiar plot. A lot of movies actually take on this plot. You've got there's a big problem in the movie. There's this uh, villain character Takah who is wreaking havoc on the world, and the way that Moana resolves the problem is she has to rediscover who she is. So she goes on this journey of self-discovery, remembers her ancestors, her roots, her past, remembers that she descends from these ancestors who were voyagers. And with this self-discovery, she can now go out and fix this problem. A lot of movies take on this, this same plot. So we're in this series talking about the church and all these different words and metaphors that describe the church. And I've been looking forward to this week because the metaphor and the word that we're talking about today, I think, maybe more than any of the others, if we as the body of Christ can really... Hone in on this word. It's an ancient word that for some reason we've discarded and we've more or less ignored. But I think that this ancient word has a lot to say about modern problems. So, right now, the church is facing a lot of different problems. How can we remain relevant in this culture that's exceedingly post Christian? Uh, What's the church's role in the ongoing racial? tension that we see all over the world but particularly in this country Uh, what's the role of the church in general when it comes to division among people what's the role of the church with with a massive political election just a few months away these are significant issues and and we as christians we as church people need to be wrestling and thinking about these things and so what i'm saying is that this word i'll introduce to you in just a minute It's an ancient word. We've discarded it. If we can bring it back on the table, I think this particular word has so much relevance for the way that we live our lives today. But to get there, I got to do quite a bit today of setting up quite a bit of history and how we're getting there. And so if you'll indulge me, I want you to go back uh, with me to a point in the Bible, Acts chapter 15. I would call this the most significant church meeting in the history of the church. You've got giants of the faith. The Apostle Peter's there. Paul is there. James, the brother of Jesus, is there. And they're all meeting to talk about one question. And the question is. How Jewish does a Gentile have to be. To be a Christian. And so the backstory here is that. Jewish people, what they would do with their life is they would practice Sabbath, they would practice dietary laws, they were circumcised, they had all these rules and laws that they kept, and so when the Jewish people believed in Jesus and put their faith in Him and were baptized, they kept practicing all these Jewish practices. Gentiles, when they came to believe in Jesus, they did not practice these Jewish customs. They did whatever they wanted to on Saturdays. They ate whatever they wanted to. They didn't necessarily adhere to the Ten Commandments. They just put their faith in Jesus. And this became the central and dominant problem of the first century church. How much are Gentiles supposed to do when they become Christians? So Jews would, would actually go into churches, and they would say this. It's uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. They would say, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Like, you have to become more Jewish in order to become a Christian. In fact, there's a word that describes this false teaching. You might have heard this word. It's called Judaizing. Everybody say Judaizing. Not to be associated with jazzerizing Judaizing. And and what this it was a false teaching, and, and what it means is this it only works through works. Salvation only works through works. So if you want to be saved, then you've got you've got to obey the Torah, you've got to practice Sabbath, you've got to obey the Ten Commandments, you, you've got to keep practicing all these laws. Judaizing. And this idea, Judaizing, it it pops up throughout. History. So you you got the indulgences, where in in the history of the Catholic Church, where people would actually be required to pay money to pay for the pardon for their sins. That that would just be a modern version of this Judaizing idea. It only works through works. I'll never forget having lunch with a guy probably seven years ago. He grew up in a very very strict, uh, conservative, oppressive uh, form of Christian religion. And as he told me his story, he said, he said Phil, we, we weren't allowed to have TVs in our houses. We weren't allowed to go to public schools. Uh, we, we, were, we had restrictions on what we could wear. He, he said, Phil, when I was 18 years old, a, I was kicked out of my church because a deacon discovered I had a radio in my car. So this is a modern version of Judaizing. It only works through works. And, and, and thankfully, to, to finish the story, this, this guy came to this church and found the grace of God. He said, Phil, I've I've never in my life believed that God really loved me and that God would forgive me until I came to the Memorial Road Church of Christ. Praise God for that. But but Judaism, it it, it rears its ugly head, and it's probably more prevalent in your life than you might think. So when you have times where you question whether or not the blood of Jesus really saves you and where you wonder if that's enough, well, that's just a modern rendition of, of Judaizing. In fact, much of what Paul did and much of what Peter did is they rejected this notion. So in the meeting, in Acts 15, Peter actually stands up and says this. He says, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, and this is important. He says, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as they are. So Peter's very clear. It is by grace that we are saved, not works. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. And when you and I fret about the things that we do in our life, wondering if somehow they remove us from the love of God, we're diminishing the work of Jesus. Now, my guess is... Some of you at home and some of you in the parking lot have heard of this word Judaizing. But here's a word, another word, that I had never heard of until five months ago. I was reading a commentary on Acts chapter 15 by a guy named Robert Wall. And he put forth this word that really made me think. It's the opposite of Judaizing. It's what we call gentilizing. So everybody say gentilizing. Totally different meaning of this word. So if Judaizing means it only works through works, then Gentilizing means all you need is faith. That's it. It doesn't necessarily matter what you do with the faith as long as you intellectually believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is it. So in Acts chapter 15, this is the argument that the Gentiles are making. They're saying, we're not going to read Torah. We're not going to practice Sabbath. We're not going to memorize the Ten Commandments. We put our trust in Jesus. We believe he rose from the dead. That's all we need. We're not going to obey your food laws. We're certainly not going to adopt your sexual ethic. We believe in Jesus. That's all you need. Gentilizing can be equally as destructive as Judaizing. I heard a testimony from a preacher probably 12 years ago. Here was his story. He preached for 20 years, had a super successful, very large church. His ministry was thriving. His marriage was failing. He developed a relationship with a coworker, a woman on staff, started out just talking to each other and eventually led up to the point where they got in bed with one another. It was an ongoing affair, lasted quite a while, and he told us that day, he said, I got to the point where me and this woman, before we committed adultery, we would get on our knees by the bed and we would pray. And we would thank God that we had found each other. This guy believes in Jesus, but somewhere in that belief system, he found permission to do anything he wanted to as long as it felt right, even to destroy his own family. About a year ago, a guy named Patrick, Patrick Cruces in Texas, he took a gun into a Walmart in El Paso and killed 23 people. On his Twitter profile, it said, proud, God-loving Christian. So apparently he believed in Jesus and somewhere within his belief system, he found permission to kill. You see, both this preacher and this radical terrorist who goes into a Walmart with a gun, they had faith. They had faith in Jesus, but their faith did not impact their day-to-day decisions. It was a belief completely separate from their behavior. Gentilizing. All you need is faith. So back to this really important meeting in Acts chapter 15. Uh, one side said, one side says it only works through works. The other side says all you need is faith. And so how exactly does this meeting end? This is really, really important. So dial back in with me if you've been distracted. They get together trying to figure out what to do about these Gentiles. And there's a lot of us that wish the story ended with this. So they wrote a letter, and and here's what we want the letter to say to the Gentiles. Dear Gentiles, we have met, we have prayed, and we have studied, and we have concluded that your belief in Jesus is the only thing that matters. And so we hereby remove the entire law from your life. Many of us Christians want the letter to say that. And in fact, if the letter said that in the Bible, I'd be great with that. But we have to go to the text of Acts chapter 15. That's not the way... That the story ends. At the end of the story, the Gentiles are asked by the apostles not to be Jews or to obey the whole law, but they are asked to obey four principles. All four of these principles have to do with purity and holiness. And so, the solution in Acts 15 to this huge dilemma is not faith without works. But neither is it works without faith. The solution is faith that leads to holiness. We as Christians have been so afraid of a works dependent faith. That we have swung the other direction towards a works deprived faith. Because deep down many of us want to believe the right Thing in order to give us a free pass to do the wrong thing. Now, this is all a really long introduction to this ancient word that I think must be recaptured. We have to dust it off. We have to recover this. Because if we can somehow remember this word as it defines who we are, then I believe that it will equip us to tackle the greatest problems for the church in our day i'm going to read a few verses where this word pops up first we'll start in acts chapter nine so saul this is before paul this is before saul becomes paul and so saul is out persecuting christians he's putting them in jail he's he he, some of them are being executed And, and here's what the text says in acts chapter nine saul goes to the high priest so that if he found any there who belonged Not to the church, but belong to the way. He might take them as prisoners. Christians were called the way. In fact, this word, the way, is so ancient. Did you know that the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible? Just three. And did you know that the word, the church, is really early? We think that... The word church, ecclesia, was used to describe the the early gatherings of Christians. But scholars actually think that the word, the way, was just as old. And some scholars think that it was actually older. Meaning that when these people who believed in Jesus started first to gather and do life together. And the world was looking for some word to describe this strange, particular, peculiar group of people following this crucified Messiah named Jesus, and they're like, what do we call these people? The word that they chose was the way. The way. I'll read you two more uh, verses. Acts chapter 19. Uh, there was opponents uh, to, to Paul and his message, and they refused to believe, and they publicly maligned, not the church, they maligned the way. Acts chapter 24, Paul is giving a testimony, and he says, I worship God as a follower of the way. Now, now here's what I want to ask you. Why do you think they were called this? Like, what had to be happening for others to label this group of people as the way? I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't just a group of people sitting in their rooms as individuals reading their Bibles and praying. It was more public than that. In fact, this word, the way, it has its roots in the Old Testament. There's this uh, interesting Hebrew uh, scripture called the Halakha, and it means to walk in the way of the Lord. Deuteronomy 5, walk in the way of the Lord. In other words, it had to do with a practice. The way referred not to privatized, individualized piety. The way referred to visible signs of a peculiar, counter-cultural version of life. So if you read through the New Testament, here's examples of what the way is. It's when a man saves up a lot of money to buy a field because he wants to to build a house there or to to put a farm there so his family can, can have what they've always wanted. But then this man sells the field and he takes all the money and he gives it to the apostles and he says, go bless people in the name of Jesus. That would be the way. Or, or the way is a man like Philemon, who had every right to punish or even kill his slave, but from what we understand happened after that, or what we think happened, is that he sets this slave free. That's the way. Or, or the way is a woman like, like Lydia, who, who has this home, and she gives this home to the church so they can have their meetings for weeks on end. That's, it's the way. It's a public, visible way of life or or we got acts chapter 19 where this group of people who believe in jesus and they that they look at all these sorcery scrolls that they have and they realize that these scrolls are counter to the way of jesus and so they they throw all of these scrolls in a fire and and we think if our conversions are right that these scrolls would have been worth three million dollars that was the way it was public It was visible. The the way happened when Paul would stand up before a governor and not be ashamed of his faith, but would publicly declare that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is Lord, and he would proclaim the gospel even in a court setting. The way was not private. The way was public. It was visible. It was shared. The way was widow care, poverty alleviation, Radical generosity, public repentance, racial inclusion, visible justice. It was not privatized faith. It was public action. Christians were called the way. In fact, getting ready for this message, I actually I started making a list of things that Christians were not called at the beginning. So at the very, very beginning, I want to read you this list. This is what Christians were not called. Are you ready for this list? Here we go. Christians were not called the people who love Andy Griffith and Chick-fil-A. That was supposed to be a joke, but you, you didn't laugh there. Christians were not called evangelicals. We, we were not called social activists or political activists. We were not called a voting block. We were not called conservatives. We were not called liberals. We were not called the GOP. We were not called the NRA. We were not called Catholics or Protestants or Calvinists or Arminianists. We were not called the doctrine. We were not called the left. We were not called the right. We were called, say it with me, the way. We were called the way. Because of a particular version, a counter-cultural version mode of life, a public, shared vision of what life should be like. And so we're about to sing a song, but I have one question I'm going to ask you before we sing this song. If a modern-day persecution broke out, like a legit persecution against Christians, not just we're going to take away your tax-exempt status from churches. I'm talking about a legitimate, there's bounty hunters trying to arrest christian people so if that happened today like people like saul were you know coming around and and driving to cities in their cars and they had authority from the government to arrest people here's my question if if these persecutors were not necessarily arresting members of a church but if they were arresting followers of the way do you think that you would be arrested Let's stand. Let's sing.